Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Is everyone able to hear me clearly? Okay. Let's pray as we get ready to dig into the word together, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you again. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us to understand. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be um, full of love, Lord. We, we love your law. It's our meditation all the day long. Lord, please make that our hearts. Fill our hearts with love for your word, Lord. And God, I pray that right now as we read it together and we study and meditate on the meaning of it all, God, please address us through that. Holy Spirit, address us. And Lord, all the things that should happen, God, when you open your mouth and speak, Lord, I pray, I pray God, that you would cause that this morning. That we would worship in response to your word. That we would repent where we need to repent, Lord. God, I pray that you would give us comfort and encouragement, Lord, where we need that, Lord, or warning. Any kind of warning that needs to be felt. Lord, just help us. Help us to respond rightly to your word. We love you, Lord, and thank you so much for this time. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 13, what we're doing this morning is really sort of an overview of this chapter. And really sort of a, sort of an overview of parables. Jesus teaching in parables, as we see in Matthew chapter 13. And eventually we're going to get to... Uh, really what, what is probably the main push this morning, which is what is the purpose of these parables? And the main place where you can see the purpose of these parables is in verses 10 through 17. So most of our concentration, most of our focus will be on Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 through 17, as we consider the purpose of these parables. So let's read that together. Matthew 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For, the, for to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they they can barely hear and their eyes, they have closed. Unless they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see. And your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So let's begin with an overview of this chapter as a whole. Not just the, that uh, passage that we read, but Matthew 13 and just under, understanding parables. That's what we have in Matthew 13, seven parables that are given to us. Let's just talk through an overview of Matthew 13. I want to take that in just uh, four bullet points if we have time for all four. So number one, this is the third teaching block in the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, you've heard us talk about that, that there are five teaching blocks spread throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Well, this is the third one this morning. The first one that we looked at was the Sermon on the Mount. That's chapters 5 through 7. And the second one we looked at was uh, Jesus' teaching to the 12. That was in chapter 10. And if you remember, each one of these teaching blocks they end with a little phrase that sort of marks them off as a, a block of teaching from Jesus. And, and we've got five of these. So just to give you an example, uh, chapter 7, when the sermon, when the first teaching block is over, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 28, ends with this, this phrase. And when Jesus finished these sayings, first teaching block. Second one was found in chapter 10, right? And look at chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. See, it marks that one off. That's the second teaching block. And then today, the third teaching block is in chapter 13. And look at chapter 13, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables. Now, that's going to happen two more times in the Gospel of Matthew that marks off two more teaching blocks. But that's what we're entering into on the third teaching block in the gospel of Matthew. Now, why are we given these? Why are we given five teaching blocks in the gospel of Matthew? Why, why does uh, Matthew's gospel contain these, this grouping of, of Jesus' teaching? And I think there's a few things or a couple things we can be reminded of. We need to be reminded, number one, that Jesus is the greatest teacher that ever lived. He's the greatest teacher to ever walk planet Earth. And this gospel gives us the teachings of Jesus. He's a great teacher. We need to enjoy Jesus as a teacher. Brothers and sisters, don't take for granted 
that your Savior, your Lord, is the greatest teacher ever. When you read this stuff in Matthew chapter 13, you're sitting at the feet of the greatest teacher who ever lived. You're sitting, you're sitting under the greatest, teach, the greatest teaching to ever enter ears. When you sit under the teaching of Jesus Christ, even Jesus' enemy said what? No man ever taught. No one ever taught like this man. So we're reminded through these teaching blocks that our Savior is the greatest teacher that ever lived. We're also reminded of this, which is the nature, or at least part of the nature of being a disciple of Jesus is sitting under teaching. Part of the nature of what it means to be a disciple, and and by the way, a disciple is a Christian. A disciple is not a super Christian. Acts 11.26 says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So disciple, Christian, same thing. And so part of the nature of being a Christian, a nature of being a disciple, is you love doctrine. You love teaching because your Savior is a teacher. You love doctrine. You love hearing this sort of stuff. It's at the very core of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And there's a lot of floatiness to modern Christianity today as it sort of it sort of turns its nose up at doctrine. Like doctrine is something that, you know, is just, uh, just some intellectual pursuit. They turn their nose up at that in this culture. But, but listen to me. The word, the, the word disciple means a learner. If you are a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that means you're a learner under the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus Christ. Christians learn. Christians increase in knowledge. It's at the core of who we are. Now, I love this. uh, There's a little phrase in in our doctrinal statement, Grace Community Church's doctrinal statement that I love. Let me read it to you. It's under the title Education. We believe that Christianity is a faith of enlightenment and intelligence In Jesus Christ abide all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That comes out of Colossians. The new birth opens all human faculties and creates a thirst for knowledge. Disciples of Christ, Christians, they thirst for knowledge. And here's this little reminder. We've got these teaching blocks scattered throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And we're, in one, we're about to enter into one now in Matthew 13. We are to thirst for knowledge. Our Savior is our teacher. He's not just some distant Messiah that makes sure, you know, whether we know him or not, you know, everything's going to be okay. He's not that. He wants to teach us, instruct us. Disciples love, love doctrine. Now, second thing, second thing by way of overview is we need to define what a parable is because the kind of teaching Jesus begins to do in chapter 13 is he teaches in parables. Like I said, we've got seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. So let's define a parable for just a minute. Um, I want you to really think about this. Matthew 13 really does represent a major shift in the teaching ministry of Jesus. A major shift in the teaching style and ministry of Jesus. Think about the first two teaching blocks, the Sermon on the Mount 
And the teaching he gave to the twelve, when we go back and read those teachings, you just got plainly spoken, straightforward truth. That's what we see in the first two teaching blocks. Plainly spoken, just straightforward facts, truth, right? And now all of a sudden, he's speaking in parables. A lot of parables over and over and over again. Look at 13.3. Look at and he told them many things in parables. He told them many things in parables. Look at verse 34. Glance at verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. Now, he dealt differently with his disciples, but out in the crowds, he spoke in parables and he didn't say anything without a parable. So this is a big shift in the teaching ministry of Jesus. And we'll talk about the reason for that in just a minute. But what is a parable? Let's define it. What is a parable? John MacArthur said this. It's a word picture. It's an elongated simile or metaphor. A story laid alongside a truth that has parallel realities to the truth. I heard R.C. Sproul break down the, the Greek word into its two parts. And you've got uh, para, so parable, para, which means alongside, to, to, to come alongside. And then the other part of that Greek word is something that is thrown. So a parable is something that is thrown alongside or thrown alongside a truth. Okay, it's a parable. Now maybe the best way to understand what a parable is, is just to read one. So let's read. So you imagine this, Jesus stands up. All the crowds are out there. He's sitting in a boat. They're all standing on the beach. Multitudes standing out there. And, he, and here's this big shift in his teaching ministry. And he gives them a parable. Let's read it. Starting in verse 3. And he told them many things in parables saying. So here it comes. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, and produced a grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. There's your parable. Last thing he says to the crowds here, he who has ears, let him hear. That's a parable. It's this earthly story with some sort of heavenly meaning or thrown alongside some uh, heavenly truth. Okay? That, that's a parable. Now, we're going to get into pretty soon the purpose of these parables, but let's hang tight on that for just a moment, okay? Okay. Again, by way of overview, third thing I want you to understand about Matthew 13 and about parables, number three, is I want you to understand something about the context, the surrounding Matthew 13, okay? The context surrounding Matthew. Matthew 13. Now, this is very, very important for you to grab this. So lean in, hear what I'm saying to you. The narrative stuff that we see in Matthew 12 before the parable teachings, 
and, and, and Matthew 13 and Matthew 14, after the parable teachings, that narrative that we see before and after is important to understand the actual parables themselves. So I want you to understand something about that. This parable teaching of Jesus in Matthew 13 is not disconnected from the narrative that leads up to it. So let me try to just say some things and, and grab some uh, context lines and kind of pull them in. And, and may the Lord help us understand Matthew 13 better. Now, if you remember, as we've studied through the gospel of Matthew together, we've been studying the earthly ministry of Jesus. He has done a, a lot of teaching and preaching. And he's backed up his teaching and he's backed up his preaching as this messianic preaching and teaching with miracles. So we've been following this earthly ministry of Jesus. It's full of teaching and preaching, backing up his claims with miracles. Now, if you remember, there's been various responses. So as you read through uh, and you look at his teaching and his preaching and his ministry, there's been various responses, especially in the last few chapters, to Jesus's ministry, right? Just different kinds of responses. But you could put all of those responses to Jesus really into two categories, you can put all those responses into two categories. Number one, you've got those who are outsiders. Uh, Matthew 11, you remember, called them the wise and the prudent, right? Quotations on that, the wise and the prudent. Those that think they're so wise, they're so smart, they don't need Jesus. They don't need his teaching and preaching. They got it handled. So you've got the outsiders. Matthew 11 calls the wise and the prudent. And they have ignored the teachings of Jesus or they flat out rejected the teachings of Jesus. So that's one category of a response to Jesus' ministry. Now, second category are those who are in the family. Those who are in the family of Christ that have come before him like a child, like a humble child. I'm not wise and prudent. I need you. I need to know you. I need your teaching. They're in the family. And they're sitting under his teaching as disciples of Christ. Now, take those two categories, and as we study through Matthew together, those two categories have become more and more distinct. They, they become, it's become more and more clear, you know, who are the outsiders and who's the family? Who are rejecting and ignoring Christ and who's sitting under the authority of Christ? It's become more and more clear as we've come through the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to think about that for a minute. Those who are opposing Jesus in that first category, those who are opposing Jesus, the outsiders, they've gone from questioning his, his practices and fasting. You remember that when they were, they were just kind of questioning his practices and fasting? They've gone from stuff like that in chapter 9 to where now they're directly opposing him. You go read chapter 12, and they're actually planning how to kill him, how to destroy him. In fact, they're, think, they're, they're taking things that he's doing, and they're attributing his miracles to works of Satan. They're getting close to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So there's been this progression of clarity of, of we're not sure about his fasting practices, so we want to kill him. The outsider's response to Jesus has become more and more clear. Now, in the same way, just like that's been a shift. Now, now, just side note, that shift, that, that, sort of, um, that sort of movement from more and more clear that they are rejecting Jesus, ignoring Jesus, want to destroy Jesus, blaspheming Jesus, that movement that you see among the outsiders 
and now Jesus decides to speak to them in only parables, that's a hint. We'll get there. But that's a hint at the purpose of these parables. Okay? Now, that second group is those that have been like little children. They've been responding to Jesus. And Jesus, just in the last chapter, the last verse we were in, looks at them and says, this is my family. This is my brother and my sister and my mothers. It's more and more clear. They're sitting under the authority of Jesus. This is the family of Christ. Disciples of Jesus, the family adopted into the family of Christ. Now, again, there's a hint there. Because when we get in Matthew 13, the way Jesus deals in parables with the outsiders versus the family is very different. So it's giving you a hint about the purpose of these parables. Now, I just want us to slow down and consider the passage right before chapter 13 that we were in last week. You remember chapter 12, verse, if you look at it, verse 46 through 50. You remember what happened there? Jesus teaching. And as his teaching, somebody stops. There's an interruption and somebody says, your mom and your brothers are out and they're asking for you to come out and speak to them. They're, they're wanting your attention for a moment. And Jesus' response is, who are my mother and my brothers? And then I want you to try to just imagine this. Just don't, 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 lose, don't lose sight of what happens right there. That your mother and brothers are outside and Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then it's, he says he stretches out his hands toward his disciples. Here he is with people around him. And you imagine having Jesus point towards you, stretch out his hand towards you as a disciple of Christ. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father is my mother and my sister and my brothers. Imagine being one of the disciples in that moment where Jesus' hand is stretched out towards you. And he said, these people are family. Closer than my own family are these people who are my family. So think about what's happening in that passage. Now, the clear distinction that's given to us in that passage is family of Jesus and outsiders. Family of Jesus and outsiders. And so when you get, think about this, when you get to chapter 13, there's supposed to be a connection in your mind that the way Jesus is showing family and outsiders now in chapter 13, we're going to see how he deals with outsiders and how he deals with family. You understand that? And you're supposed to see that connection. I'm not making that up. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, that same day. You catching that time marker? The same day. That he just said that about his disciples being family while his mom, his, his mom and brothers are standing outside. He says, that same day, so you're supposed to feel this connected. Jesus went out of the house. That's the house where the interruption was, uh, took place. And he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. So you're supposed to have this connection. Between chapter 12, distinction between family and outsiders, and now chapter 13, the same day, coming out of that house, now he's about to do something that says how Jesus deals with outsiders versus family. Now, why is it important to see this connection? The practical outliving, when, when, if, you were, if you would have been one of the disciples that day, and Jesus stretched out his hand towards you and he said, adopted ones. 
In my family, that's my mother and, 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 my, and my brothers. That's them right there. Then chapter, chapter 13 is going to show you some sweet benefits, sweet privileges of being a part of the family of Christ. And some horrible dangers about being outside of that family. So it's very important that you see this connection. Now we're going to come back. Uh, we're going to come back to this in just a moment. But just to glance at it, and this is important that you see this in chapter 13. Again, overview of chapter 13. In chapter 13, verse 1 through 9, who is Jesus addressing right there? The crowds, the multitudes. Now notice this back and forth. What happens in verse 10? Then the disciples came and said to him, now you've got a private conversation with just the disciples. Did you catch that? So you got, he's talking to the crowds, boom, private conversation just with the disciples. And you, and you have that going on from verse 10 all the way to verse 23. Then you get to verse 24 and it broadens it back out to the crowds. Jesus is addressing the crowds again. In fact, verse 34 said he only spoke to them in parables. And then look at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. You see this back and forth? Of he's talking to the crowds and how does he deal with them? And then boom, you get a private conversation. Here's how he deals with the disciples. Then he's talking to the crowds again and how's he dealing with them? Boom, you get a private conversation. And that chapter 12 of the way he deals with fame and the way he deals with outsiders is something that we're seeing in chapter 13. We're going to come back to those observations. It's beautiful stuff to be found there. But let's, but let's, let's do one more point of overview before we dig in there. Okay? One more point of overview. Number four, there's a kingdom theme in these parables of Jesus. There's a kingdom theme that I want to make sure you see. This phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is repeated over and over and over again. So if you just read through Matthew 13, you'll notice uh, the kingdom of heaven is like parable. The kingdom of heaven is like parable. The kingdom of heaven is like parable so there's this kingdom theme now this has actually been a theme all the way through the gospel of matthew right the way the gospel of matthew presents christ to us is he is a king the very first chapters is the king is born we have his royal lineage from the kings of judah given to us and then we have this herald that goes in front of jesus john the baptist that's saying the king has arrived the christ is here and then the sermon on the mount Remember how we studied chapters 5 through 7? And we saw that the Sermon on the Mount is showing us what kingdom citizens look like. What do citizens of the kingdom of Christ look like? We'll go read the Sermon on the Mount. So this whole gospel has had this kingdom of heaven theme. King Jesus bringing in his kingdom. And then here's these parables with this same kingdom theme. Now it's really important that you see this. Now we're going to jump into this as we, as we hit each parable. As we come through Matthew 13, we'll jump into this more. But I do want to highlight that it's important that you, that you catch this kingdom theme so that you understand things about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Verse 11. You see that phrase in verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom? Glance at it there. Chapter 13, verse 11, the secrets of the kingdom. That means there are secrets of the kingdom that the family gets but, but it confuses outsiders, okay? Look at verse 19. You see where it says the word 
of the kingdom. There, there's a message of the kingdom. There's a word of the kingdom. Now, why is, why is the gospel called the word or message of the kingdom? Because the gospel is good news from the king himself. And it's the message that makes outsiders family. It brings them into the kingdom. It brings them from outsiders to family of Christ. These parables show us a really clear divide. All these parables, you read through them, they show us a real clear divide between the people of the kingdom and those that are outside. It says it in different ways, like the, the four different types of soil or the good fish and the bad fish or the wheat and the weed. So we had this real clear distinction between those in the kingdom and those who were not. If you read through these parables, thinking about the kingdom, there are things about, there are things about the kingdom that will surprise you from these parables. Maybe, maybe you didn't expect the kingdom to come. You, you read your Old Testament. You read about that coming king, that Messiah. And you weren't expecting the kingdom to come in the way that these parables say it'll come. In other words, the kingdom will take... I'll just give you an example. The kingdom will take over the world. There's no doubt about it. But not like a massive military suddenly falling down on the earth. No, it's not like that. These parables tell us like a mustard seed. Like a little mustard seed that grows into something. Or like a little leaven. Just a little leaven and then it just increases and increases. And this is the way it happens. Or, or you might think that, that when the kingdom comes, that, that people will be unwillingly submitted to King Jesus. And yet what we see in these parables is not that way. At least not on this side of eternity. But rather, people that come into the kingdom are people that see Jesus as the treasure, as that pearl of great price, and they want to come for joy. They sell everything else and come after him. So it's important to see this kingdom theme throughout these parables. And I would encourage you to get ready to, to, to study and to dig in uh, as we're going to be in this the next few weeks. I'd encourage you to think through that. Write some stuff out. Think deeply. Pray. And ask God to teach you there. Okay, that's overview of Matthew 13. Now I want us to really move into what, I, what I, I hope will be a main point here, which is what's the purpose of these parables? I've been hitting at it, and you really see it clearly in verses 10 through 17, the purpose of these parables. Let's go slow, verse, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them? In parables. So the disciples in a private conversation are asking Jesus, Jesus, we noticed there was a big shift in your teaching. Jesus, why are you teaching in these parables? Why are you doing that? Now, I want every one of us to feel the shock that they felt. I want, I want you to feel the shock that they felt when they saw this go down, Jesus teaching in parables. Think about that. All the crowds are gathered around. The crowds are gathered around. He's in the boat. They're up on the shore. They're all listening to Jesus. All the crowds are there. And then what does Jesus say to them? He gives them a parable. We read it just a moment ago, verse 1 through 9. He gives them a parable. Now, we tend to read that parable we read a moment ago. And, and we, we read it as if that's easy to understand. Now, maybe not everybody here, but, but most of you read that. When I read that parable, verse 1 through 9, just a moment ago, you read it as something that you understand. But listen, that's because you've heard the explanation. 
But try to put yourself in their shoes for a minute. All the crowds are gathered up. Jesus is about to teach them. What comes out of his mouth? Hey, a farmer was sowing seed. And you know, some of the seed fell over here, and this happened. Some of the seed fell here, and this happened. And some of the seed fell here, and this happened. And then some of the seed fell over here, and this happened. No explanation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Can you imagine that moment? See, you read them because you've already heard the explanation. But imagine having, having no explanation. You're used to that plain, straightforward teaching of Jesus Christ. And he gives you this parable that you have no idea what he's talking about. And so what does it cause the disciples to do? Private conversation. Jesus, why are you talking to them in parables? Jesus, that seems so unclear. Why, why are you giving them something that seems so unclear? They don't know what it means. You read the other Gospels, you find out that even the disciples didn't know what it means. They came and asked, Jesus, can you explain this to us? So why, why this lack of clarity, Jesus? Why not plain teaching? Jesus, why are you speaking to them in parables? Now, Jesus' answer to that question is so good. It's so, so good. And it's in verses 11 through 17. And it's so good. Listen, we need to slow down. Just take it phrase. So I need you to lean in with me because we're going to go phrase by phrase. I'm going to read a little bit, say something, read a little bit, say something. His response to, to this feeling of shock, like, Jesus, why are you talking to them in parables? They don't understand that stuff. And his response is beautiful. So let's take some time to understand that now. Now we'll start. Let's block off verse 11 and 12. Look at verse 11 and 12. Let's read that all together and then we'll go slow. Verse 11. And he answered them. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So let's understand that. Why are you speaking to him in parables, Jesus? First thing he says, he says, to you, verse, verse 11 right here, to you, that's the disciples, that's the family, that's the one he just, he just stretched out his hand and said, this is my brother and my, and my mother. That's, this is my family right here. He says, to you, family, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So when you see Jesus explaining things to his disciples in private, like in verse 18 and verse 36 in this chapter, and he's explaining those things to them in private, what's going on is they're getting the family secrets. They've got access to the, to the secrets of the kingdom of heaven that the outsiders aren't getting. They're getting the family secrets explained to them. Now it goes on to say, keep looking at it, stick with me. But to them, that's the crowds, that's the outsiders, it has not been given. Jesus, why are you speaking parables to the crowds? Well, the truth is being veiled to them through parables. They don't get the family secrets. That's for the family. Now keep going. For, this is verse 12, for the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. Now again, that's those in the family. That's the adopted ones. That's those who do the will of their father. You already have You're already in the family. 
And one of the privileges of being in the family is this beautiful relationship that you have with Christ, this beautiful relationship you have with God. You get more. You get more understanding. You're going to have an abundance. Explanations of the truth, abundance of revelation of the will of God. Keep reading. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. These are the outsiders. They have not. But, but from those who have not, this is the outsiders, those that have not. And what have they been doing? They've been ignoring the plain teaching of Christ. They've been rejecting the plain and clear teachings of Jesus Christ. And what's going to happen now is what they had is going to be stripped away from them. That plain teaching they had is going to be ripped away from them through parables. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That plain teaching is going to be reduced to parables as a judgment for those that reject the truth. So, what is the purpose, brothers and sisters? Just zoom out for a minute. We'll get back into 13, uh, verse 13. But, but zoom out for just a minute. What is the purpose of these parables to the crowds? Jesus uses the parables to the crowds as a judgment against their hard-hearted the hard-hearted outsiders who will not respond to the plain teaching of Jesus they've already heard. They've heard it so plain and they just reject it. They just ignore it. And here's the judgment. It's stripped from you. You get parables. Now, it's the purpose of the parables. Now, in case they didn't get the, in case they didn't get it, in verse 11 and 12, and in case we didn't get it, we don't get it, in verse 11 and 12, uh, G Jesus goes on uh, to keep further clarifying the purpose of the parables. Look, look at verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Let me be perfectly clear. He's just being clear here. This is why I speak to them in parables. Look at it. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. So Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because, and then he describes what these outsiders look like. Here's why I speak to them in parables, because, and then he describes, he describes the outsiders here. And think about, think about what they've been doing. They've, they've, got, out, they've got eyes, but they, but they don't see They've got ears, but they don't hear. They, they, can't, they can't understand. They just don't get it. Sound waves are, are going into the ear, but they just don't get it. They won't get it. And so his, he shifts his teaching toward them to teach in parables. Now, now let, me take, let me use an example, okay? So take the Pharisees as an example. So we read about these Pharisees in chapter 12, right? They've heard so much of the plain teaching of Jesus in his teaching ministry. They've been eyewitnesses, literally eyewitnesses to the miracles of Jesus that back up his messianic claims. They've seen it. They've heard it. And yet, what do they do? It's like they close their eyes to it. They reject it. 
They close their eyes. They plug their ears. They just don't get it. In fact, they want to they destroy Jesus. In fact, they begin to attribute his miracles to works of Satan. That's where they've gotten to. And so Jesus, as a judgment, rips the plain teaching away from them. Now you get parables. Now all you get is parables. It's as if, it's as if Jesus says, you want to ignore and reject the truth that I've given you? Fine. Have it your way. And he strips them of that privilege and all they get is parables. Now, when you look at verse 13, I know this is how you're supposed to understand verse 13. And the reason why I know that is because Matthew quotes a scripture, an Old Testament scripture from Isaiah 6 to explain what he just said in verse 13. And so we need to read that together. So look at verse 14. Indeed, in their case. So that's, that's the outsiders, their case. The outsiders that, that can't see. They got eyes, but they can't see. They got ears, but they can't hear. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says... So what he does, he says, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And then he goes and grabs a verse out of Isaiah chapter 6 to describe the outsiders that are only going to get parables from here on out. And so listen to Isaiah's description of the kind of folks that Jesus judges with parables. Listen to the description. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. That ought to cause us to tremble. That's a terrifying place to be. You hear, but you'll never get it. You'll see, but you'll never really perceive. For, keep looking at it, this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And, and, and their eyes, they have closed who are those that get judged with these parables? These heartless, deaf people who have closed their eyes. They've heard the plain teaching, but it's like they're closing their eyes to it. And so they're judged with parables. Keep going. Lest, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. They're refusing to turn. They're refusing to receive the spiritual healing of Jesus Christ. There are these people that are closing their eyes. And so Jesus says, have it your way. You close your eyes to the truth, have it your way. You get parables. Even those that had not, even what they had was stripped from them. It was taken away. So, quick summary. Quick summary here. So, what is, so zoom, zoom back out. We're, we're, we're meditating on Jesus' answer to the purpose of parables. Quick summary here. What is the purpose of parables? What is the purpose of parables? Now, many people would say this parables are meant to help us um, more clearly grasp the truth, they're meant to bring clarity so that we can more clearly grasp the truth. That's what parables are for. And what I'm trying to 
What I'm you know, laboring to try to get you to see is that it's, it ain't that simple. It's not that simple. And in fact, if that's the way you think about it, there's a lot of strange, strange ideas that come out of that misunderstanding. Parables are just there, you know, parables are to make the thing more clear. A lot of strange teachings that come out of that. So, for example, um, Sunday morning has become, in a, in a lot of places in our world, right, I think you'd agree with this, sort of the story time of the pastor, right? The story time of pastor so-and-so. That's what Sunday morning is nowadays, right? And sometimes they justify that nonsense by pointing to stuff like this. See, Jesus did it, stories and parables, to make things more clear. I'll never forget it. When I was a very young believer, being down on the coast right after Katrina hit, and we were doing some work there, and I was working alongside this pastor. I didn't know him for nothing. And I remember him saying something to a lost person that made me go, what? what are you? It was some like little parable, little story. Like, what are you talking I'm a believer, and I don't even know what he's talking about. The lost person thinks he's nuts. And when I'm talking to him later, he said, well, you know, that's how Jesus talked. That's how Jesus dealt with things. And so there's a lot of strange stuff that comes out of that. And then you end up having the people of God. They're sitting through story time with the pastor and they're starving for plain truth. Give me the plain truth. So it's not quite as simple as parables are meant to just help you grasp the truth. It is true that parables are are. They're beautiful, they're, they're memorable to those that are in Christ Jesus, those that are in the family, th those people that get the little side explanations. Man, it's beautiful. But the purpose that's being shown to us here is that these parables are for outsiders. Matthew 13, it's a judgment from Jesus on those who would not turn to him. These parables to the outside world, they were meant to conceal the truth as a judgment. And then you get these private conversations where the truth is revealed through explanations from Jesus. So to those that are in Christ and the family, parables are beautiful. And in this setting, those who are outside the crowds, it's a judgment that conceals the truth. Now, let me take one more shot. We're going to get into some takeaways here, but I want to take one more shot. I know I'm just laboring this point. One more shot to, to get you to agree with me. Believe what I'm telling you about the purpose of the parables, okay? Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Y'all remember this verse? We were here together a good while back. Matthew eleven twenty-five. Look at this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Now that's exactly what Jesus is doing through these parables in Matthew 13. He's hiding these things from the wise, the, the quote, quotations, right? Wise and understanding. And he's revealing things to the children. Now, I'm not just making that, you know, if that's all I had to tell you, it would just be a good verse to put in front of you. But I'm not just making that connection on my own. And I want you to see another place where the parables of Matthew 13 are connected to that verse. 
And let me try to show that, show that to you quickly, just as another way to encourage you to see this, okay? If you go look at Luke 10, it's the exact same verse in Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to read verse 21. Listen to Luke 10, 21. He says, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So you catch that? Same verse. Matthew recorded it. Luke records it. You're hiding these things from the arrogant. Those who reject the truth, ignore the truth, and you're revealing it to the little children that know their need. Okay? Same verse. And then jump down to verse 23, right at the end of that paragraph. If you keep reading straight through, verse 23 says, All these things, excuse me, verse 23, Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Does that sound familiar to you? Where did we just read that? And you go back to Matthew chapter 13 and our passage, and that's the exact phrase from Matthew 13, verse 16 and 17. So here's this connection, the same phrase attached to You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent, revealed them to children. And then the same phrase is attached to Jesus giving you the purpose of the parables in Matthew 13. What's the purpose of the parables? He's hiding these things from the wise and prudent, the wise, the wise and understanding, the arrogant who reject his truth and, and the purpose of the parable. But he's revealing these things to the children, to the family. All right. I gave it my best shot to convince you. Let's talk about a little bit of, of application, some takeaways uh, just from this whole idea. And I want to give you a warning and I want to give you an encouragement. So I'm going to start with a warning and I want to try to leave you with an encouragement. So here's the warning. Brothers and sisters, just think about what we're talking about. Jesus' shift to begin to use parables and the reason that he did it. And let's talk about a warning that we should feel from that. I want you to feel warned about this character of Jesus. Something's being revealed in this about the character of Jesus. And it's a certain characteristic of Jesus that it seems like not many people want to talk about. But we need to feel warned about it. They refuse to respond to the truth. And here's what Jesus did. He concealed the truth from them. That is terrifying. You refuse to respond. You get the truth again and again and again. And you won't respond. And Jesus, this is something that he did in Matthew 13. He stripped it from them. He began to conceal the truth away from them now. We need to feel warned about that characteristic of our king. Now this is a severe judgment. When, when Jesus conceals the truth from them he's not just concealing something that that uh that could possibly make them happy he's not just concealing something that could make them grow as a christian he's concealing something from them that would lead to their salvation that's in verse 15 it says lest they turn and be healed so this is a severe judgment and we need to be warned by this there is a consistent 
rejection of the truth that causes your Savior to say, causes the Christ to say, have it your way. You just reject and you reject and you reject. And I don't know where it's at, but at some point, there's a fine. Have it your way. Proverbs 29, verse 1. You've heard me quote it so many times. Proverbs 29, 1. It says, he who is often rebuked, but hardens his neck, will suddenly be destroyed beyond remedy. I don't know when that moment is, but do you feel the warning of that? Often rebuked, you heard the truth plain. You heard it plain, you heard it plain, you heard it plain. You kept rejecting it, now broken beyond remedy. Romans 1 speaks about this. Go read Romans 1, verse 19 through the end of the chapter. It's terrifying stuff that we should feel warned about. It says in Romans 1, 19 that God made the truth plain to them. And in that case, he's talking through creation. He made it plain to them. In fact, they knew God, but they didn't honor him as God. And what happens? Three, time, three times it says in that, in that passage, God gave them over to a debased mind. God gave them over to unholiness. God gave them over. There's a character of Christ being revealed in these parables that we should feel warned about. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged by that. I just want you to feel warned. Have you, are you one who, who has repetitively ignored the truth? Have you repetitively ignored the truth? Refused to respond to the gospel? What do you do? Decide to do that no more. I'm not going to just sit and, and listen to the gospel preach and hear the calls of repentance and faith and do nothing. Decide not to do that anymore. Listen, you can go from outsider to being in the family. Jesus wasn't just talking about the disciples that were there that day when he said, this is my brother and my mother's. He said, whoever does the will of my father, whoever. And what's the will of the father? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sin. Put your hope in him. Now, let me do this just real quick. I'll, as plain as I know how. Plain gospel truth to you. As plain as I know how to say it. You are not good. You're a God hater. And you deserve hell. If God gives you what you deserve, you will go to hell forever. Because of your sin. It's not his fault. It's yours. And there's a judgment day coming. Where your time will run out and if you die in your sins or Christ comes back and you're still in your sins, you will burn in hell forever. It's called eternal torment. But you don't have to stay there. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He went to the cross to be crucified for you. He absorbed your wrath, the wrath of God, poured out on Jesus so that you don't have to take the punishment. Risen from the dead, he's able to save. He saves the worst of sinners. So don't stay in your sin. Come to him. Come to Christ and be saved. Now that's as plain as I know how to say it. And you can either respond to that. Maybe you've heard it before and you ignored it and you rejected it. You can respond to that message right now. Bow down to King Jesus. Put your hope in him and have eternal life. Be adopted into the family. But I want you to feel the warning. 
that you just heard it plain again. And if you reject it, it is so dangerous. It is so risky for your soul to reject what I just said to you. Because you're not promised another chance to respond. What if Jesus says to you, fine, have it your way. Don't neglect to respond to the gospel. And I say that we ought to feel it as a warning all across this room, especially if you are not in Christ and you've heard the gospel preached either in other places or here over and over again. Feel that warning. Young people in the room that have heard it and you've heard it and you've heard it and you've heard it. And you said, no, not now. I'll do it later. You might not have later. Feel that warning. Let's close with an encouragement. This is an encouragement to every single person here that is in Christ Jesus. And, and, and I know, listen, um, we've gone through a lot here. Don't let me lose you right here. Lena, I want you to be, I want your soul to be comforted and encouraged in Christ. And this, this has encouraged my soul this week. Okay? So lean in and hear this encouragement. Here's how this, this whole passage has the potential to be a great encouragement. To, if you're in Christ here, it has a great potential to be an encouragement to your soul. And it starts in chapter 12, right? Did you imagine that? I told you two minutes ago. Did you imagine that? You being in that group of disciples and Jesus pointing at you, his mom and brothers are standing at the door and he's saying, that's my family. Closer than his blood relatives. That's where the encouragement begins. You feel that encouragement? If you're in Christ, you're adopted, you're in his family. And then, and then think about this encouragement. When you read Matthew 13, which group are you in? Are you in the ones that the, the truth has been concealed from them? Are, are, are you a part of the group that gets the family secrets? Because if you're in the family, if you're adopted into his kingdom, be encouraged. You get the, the back room, intimate conversations with Christ. The crowds get this, but you get the private conversation. You get the family secrets. That's a beautiful encouragement. Now, I believe that Jesus, I'm not just, in other words, I'm not just making that up. I believe that Jesus intended for that encouragement to land whenever they asked him about the purpose of the parable. So think about, think about what we just read. Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? What's the first thing Jesus says? To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. What's the last thing he says? Blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. You know the prophets and, and righteous men of old. They long to hear and see the things you hear and see and they didn't get to. What a privilege. Not only a privilege that you're not an outsider, you get the family secrets, but even, even more than these Old Testament saints, you've got something new. In this relationship you could have with God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 11.39 says, And all these, talking about the, the Old Testament saints, if you look at verse... Um, Matthew 13, 17 brings in the Old Testament saints. Well, Hebrews 11 says, And all these, these Old Testament saints, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something 
better for us. Glance back at verse 15. For this people's heart has grown dull. Brothers and sisters, your heart's not dull. If you're in Christ, you've been given a new heart, a sensitive heart to the things of Christ. Uh, you, you, you actually love him. You don't have this hard heart. And with their ears, they barely hear and they've closed their eyes. Not you. Your eyes aren't closed. You're not blind. You see. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Well, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you have turned to Christ and he's healed you. And now like these disciples, because think about it. As as members of the family of Christ, it didn't mean that these disciples could magically understand the parables. I mean, study this passage. They had to ask. Jesus, could you explain to us the parable of the weeds? Can you explain to us this parable about the sower? They had to ask. So so the privilege of being in the family is not, voila, you've got magical understanding of parables. The privilege is you get get the secret conversation. You get to be alone with him. You You get to be taught by your Savior, taught by Christ. And that's a beautiful privilege. Now, how should you respond to this encouragement? I want to encourage you to see that privilege that we see the disciples have in Matthew 13. See that privilege, brothers and sisters, as a gift of the gospel. A gospel gift. Now, now here's what I mean. uh, Prayer, for example. Prayer is a gospel gift. Without Jesus dying for your sins, you are separated from God. Without Jesus dying for your sins, it is not safe for you to approach his throne and address him. But because Jesus died for you, one of the privileges you get is you get to enter into the throne room of grace and pray as a child. And so that's prayer is a gospel gift. Therefore, what should you do? Pray. The door's been kicked wide open for you to pray. Don't neglect to go through the door. Okay, I want you to do the same thing with this privilege. It is a gospel gift to get to Luke chapter 10. Remember Luke Luke 10, Martha and Mary? They're in the the house, Martha and Mary both. They're in the private room, you know, and some others, and they're there with Jesus. Not out there in the crowds. They get the family secrets. There they are. They're in that house with Christ, and yet one of them gets it. One of them's responding rightly. Mary's doing the one thing needful. She sat at his feet and listened to his word. That's a gospel gift that you get to sit at the feet of Christ and listen to his word. It's a gospel gift to get to meditate on the word of of God together right now like we're doing. Or to get to go into a secret place with an open Bible and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. That is a gospel gift. Therefore, what do you do? Brothers and sisters, the door's been kicked wide open for you to be taught by Christ in his word. Don't neglect to open the door. Don't neglect to walk through the door. Mary chose the one thing needful. She sat at his feet, listened to his word, and I pray that all of us would do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I pray that um, you would fill our hearts with joy.
especially over the adoption. Lord, fill us with joy. Help us to see it more and more clearly that you brought us into the family. And Lord, I pray that we would take full advantage of that, like Mary sitting at your feet, listening to your word. God, I pray that you make us a people that are taught by you, disciples, learners. Help us to increase in our knowledge of you, increase in our love for doctrine, Lord. And God, I want to lift up to you any person here that has rejected this truth that they've heard repetitively. God, I pray you'd help them. Help them to feel this warning. And I pray, God, that they would flee from the wrath to come. That they would fear this hardening of the heart. And that today they'd put their trust in you. Thank you so much, Lord, for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen.